everyone. And now today is a very, very special episode of the podcast because we have an absolute phenomenal athlete and Olympic star joining us this morning. Uh, Alex, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing good yourself, bro. I'm doing great. I mean, I'm very, very honored to have you on, man. Uh, what I can say is you've really done us proud. And I've got to start by saying, man, unfortunately, I know it sucks that we've got to do this for a Zoom podcast, uh, not in person, but I hope this is okay for you for the time being. No, definitely so, bro. Like, I'm more than happy to be on here and uh, it's a pleasure for you to have me on, so, bro. Thanks. No problem, man. So before we get into the uh, Olympic staff there, before we get into your recent fight and your Olympic journey, how what you've done in the Olympics so far. I wanted to actually rewind the clocks back a little bit, man, because uh, oh, there's been, you know, I was researching about you, learning about some articles, but I wanted to hear, you know, straight from you. What Can you start off by telling me a little bit about your background and how you got involved in boxing? Uh, so I got involved in boxing because my coach, um, uh, he used to come to our school and um, do boxing classes. So we did that like once a week for a couple of months um, and probably not even that long, maybe maybe about a month and a half. Um, at that time, then uh, it was at, like the end of school year when he started doing it, um, the last term. So during like the school holidays is when I fully committed and started going to the gym at his house and uh, pretty much like been with him for the last eight years and had all my fights on him except for like maintenance is when, when I joined the uh, Australian team and we get taken over by the head coach but um, I'm still with my home coach Brian Story, box out of um, Eureka Club in Mandra um, and I've had probably around 65 like that. sorry we lost you there sorry it's just I'll grab my charger because I know what's going to happen that's okay all right, so uh, apologies, guys. Uh, Alex is just going off the charger. But if, for those of you who don't know, Alex, he competed recently in the Olympics uh, and he was one of the youngest Australians to go in, especially for boxing. And lovely. Awesome. Yeah. Back now? Yeah. Cool, cool. So, sorry, you were saying? Yeah, so um, I've... Uh... Had all my fights underneath um, my head coach. And then um, I've been on the national team since 2016, uh, besides 2018 when um, the Com Games was on. Uh, there wasn't weight category for me to box in. So um, that was the only time that I didn't represent Australia in the past five years. Oh, so that was why. Because I was researching and yeah. said you were missing out on the 2018 games. I was like, what nips, man? And then... It was all because they just did not have your weight category in the uh, in the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, so um, out of the, I don't know how many, I think it was like uh, 10 male weight classes, probably, something like that. Oh, no, yeah. And Australia can only um, nominate eight out of them, 10. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, so that, that's how it worked out. Do you know why it's only eight? Um. It's something to do with uh, the Commonwealth Games Committee with how many athletes were allowed to take across the board of um, every sport so that um, depending on how well 
your sport does is how many quota spots that you get out of games um, for the com games. So, uh, like, the weight categories are there. If boxing does well, things like that, we get more spots. Um, so it kind of depends on our success, on, on how we go. Wow. Okay, so... Now, you competed in the men's flyweight category, which is roughly 48 to 52 kilograms uh, in the Olympics and all. Uh, now, for someone such as yourself, do you have to ever go through some form of like weight cutting or, do you, or is that just like a natural way for you? No, that's, it. I've, I've had to build myself up to it so I can cut the weight. Um, in boxing, you don't really want to be walking around. Your, you don't want your fight weight to be your walking weight. It's just like you're giving away a disadvantage. You, you're out of weight class. It's um, not your natural body body weight with, like, um, the people that you're going to fight against. So pretty much everyone has a weight cut, really, unless, you know, you go to, like, the 81 kilos or the, the 91s. That's when it gets a bit harder because there's 10 kilos in between and things like that. Um, but I... Started my boxing career at 52 at flyweight. Um, after I got on the international circuit, I went to light fly, which, which was 49. Then I got to go to the Olympics for this game. So I've had to make the adjustment and move back up and, and put on some weight. So that way, um, you know, I'm not giving them too much away in, in size and, and weight. I see. So you don't want to be too far from your weight up. From, from your five ways so that way you don't have to affect or give away any advantage in terms of the weight cut that's interesting uh and you've always completed a fly, uh, fly weight or have you ever experimented any other of the uh weight categories uh so i've had i started my career at flyweight and then i've for a, i think probably about a year and a half i competed at 49 which is light fly um, and then straight after that um, I went to the featherweight, which was 57, 56 kilos at that point because there was I had no no domestic belts in Australia or in Perth, so I started competing at 57. Um, but I was walking around at like 53, 54 at that time, so um, I just took the fights as I could. Nice, nice. So you have a very you've had a very very extensive background. Uh, you started at a very, very young age and all that as well. Now, you mentioned that you were training in high school and had what, when, at one point did you uh, realise, okay, I'm going to take this seriously. This, is, this could be a potential career for me. When was that? When did that happen for you? Um, probably like 2000 and after 2016 when I missed out on the last Olympics. So like, um, started to take more serious at that point. Like, I always trained hard. I was always pretty dedicated, but like I didn't ever have long-term goals. It was all like always short-term, always short-term goals, like this tournament, that tournament. But um, after 2016, that's when we started looking at long, long-term goals, like the next games and, and what, uh, what benchmark events we have to hit uh, to get there and um, how do we develop in between and things like that. So after 2016, it was more like career planning than, than just like, fights in between and, and what's next type thing i see i see so r- roughly like could you give me like a, a time period between you had your first amateur fight all the way up to recently when you had your first olympic bout like what was the time period between the two no uh, just under eight years i think seven years something like that wow 
Wow. That's that's phenomenal, man. Well done. I mean, and especially, especially the summer, it's very young as well. So uh, let's talk about, like, before the Olympic Games, so you secured your spot in the Olympics because of your performance at the 2020 uh, Asia and Oceania Olympic Qualification Tournament, which was held in uh, Amman, Jordan. I was, I was just hoping you could uh, give us, like, a little brief rundown of what was that like for you at the qualifiers? No, uh, yeah, it was, like, pretty much um, – it was a very, very tough tournament. Um, Asia has – like the the strongest pull for my weight class um, on a world stage. So um, I was pretty confident going into that. Like we did a lot of international camps and things like that. Um, we got messed around a little bit. Uh, it was actually meant to be in Wuhan in February or something like that. Then obviously coronavirus hit and it got pushed back five weeks and we ended up going to Jordan and, and um, I think I thought – Hong Kong, Thailand, and and Iran to qualify. So pretty strong nations, um, and you know I mixed it with the best of them. And I had a lot, lot of heavy hitters in, in my weight class. We had like uh, world championship gold medalist and, and Olympic champion, and then the world silver medalist. So um, once I qualified through there, I, I knew that where that I belonged on on the world stage and. I was really keen to get to the game straight after and obviously the games got postponed and um, yeah, you know, everything's pretty much um, had to roll on from there to, to this year and, and just fill in the gap between. Nice, nice. So that was, so it sounds like you did a lot of traveling uh, last year amongst the whole pandemic and like, what was that like for you? Did you guys have to like quarantine at this place but not quarantine at this place? Like what was the situation? Uh, so we didn't do any quarantining anywhere. Um, we, when we was first meant to qualify, when we was going to uh, China at the time to Wuhan, uh, we think um, we went to India. We did a few weeks in India just beforehand. It was meant to fly from India straight to China. Um, that didn't happen, so we came home um, for about two weeks. Um, I was at my, at my house and training at my home gym. Um, after that pretty sure we went to Canberra at the AIS and we did about a week there or a few days. And then um, we headed into Thailand and a lot of the other places is uh, it was like the only place that was kind of like COVID safe for us um, at the time. So we went to Thailand, we did a two week training camp there and, and then we flew to um, Amman and impeded over two weeks. Um, and from there kind of, headed back home and that's when Australia got pretty serious about the whole coronavirus and um, I'm pretty sure we got on the last flight or the last day that we could get into Australia without quarantining. So we kind of was pretty fortunate to miss all that um, the first time around. But um, with this whole uh, camp in going into the Olympics and stuff, we've done a lot of like self-isolations in pretty much everywhere we've went. And getting back to Australia is just been this two weeks and now we got a case up in Darwin today. So hopefully cross fingers that nothing happens trying to get back to WA tomorrow. Um, we'll just see, what, see where we go. Oh, you guys had a case in Darwin? Yeah, so we had one this morning. Um, we're not too sure what it means for our, uh, our travel back home tomorrow. So we're just kind of, everything's up in the air and we're crossing fingers that n- nothing really comes of it. Um, 
I think Darwin's going into a snap down for three days, so um, maybe I might have to self-isolate back home for three days, but just hopefully we, we get out of here and it's all good. Well, I mean, hopefully they can let you back. I mean, you, you're literally uh, done a quarantine for two weeks. It's not like you've had any contact with any of the uh, cases or the case or anything like that, so it even came close. So I don't see a reason why they can't let you can't let you back in as well, especially since now they've just rep, done, you've done everything right. You represented your country. Uh, flew to Dar- uh, did you get to choose where you quarantined, by the way? Or did they just put uh, you in a place in Darwin? Um, we had a choice whether we wanted to go to, um, I think it was like Sydney or Brisbane or here. It just depended what, um, I think on the time, it was either Brisbane or, or here. And obviously, with everything that's been going on in the eastern states, I was like, I'd, I'd rather go to Darwin. So I took this charter flight um, here. But uh, some other people, because you're meant to get leave the village 48 hours after your comp, um, some people kind of didn't get a choice and just got put on the next flight and ended up where they was. Uh, well, if you chose to go to Darwin, you made a very, very smart choice considering all the crazy stuff and shit that's going up, happening over east, like all the protests. I mean... I'm pretty sure I was check- – I'm not one who likes to follow the news much, but I think today they had, like, nearly 500 – like, 470-something cases, like, almost 500. Or like It's absolutely unbelievable what's going on in Sydney where they've got also got this lockdown that's been extended, and now they're into – I think they're in a statewide lockdown. And then you compare that to over here in Perth where we're, we're pretty fortunate, we're pretty proactive as well when it comes to the virus. And, now, you know, when there was a case that we did have recently, but it was a weak case, but, you know, everyone was sort of up in the air about it. And now, but over in Darwin, considering I was recently just there like a couple of weeks ago uh, doing a show, I mean, Darwin's a pretty nice place, man. Uh, I, I, it was, was it your first time in Darwin or have you been there before? No, I've been here one other time, like back in school, but yeah, I haven't done too much uh, traveling up in Darwin. So, yeah. Hopefully they let you get to see. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you get to go back there and see the sights and all that because it's, it's beautiful there in Darwin. I'm going to give you that. Uh, anyway, so not not to get too far on track of myself. I always wanted to get into the uh, Olympic stuff now, man. So let's uh, talk talk through your match now. When you got to uh, actually, yeah. So when you when you got to the Olympics, you had to fight uh, Patrick Chim- Chimiemba. Hopefully, I said his name correctly. Now, going into the fire, I thought you were really well done. You had a great pace. You were picking very clean shots, in my opinion. You know, I think you had a really, really good jab as well. Now, at the end of it, uh, one of the judges actually gave the victory to you, even though the rounds were tight. And I actually firmly agree with him on that one. But even though the four remaining judges deemed it to your opponent, and it was a 28-29 winner on the, on the three scorecards, uh, I want you to walk me through... What was going through your head during the fight? Um, yeah, after the like, uh, kind of the first round, he, he surprised me a little bit with some of his uh, speed and that. Um, I, I knew that he was going to be an awkward fighter. I already, already had some uh, footage that I watched on him. Um, but I had a, had a slow start in my first round. Um, so the second round, you know, I, I turned it up. And turned it on and um I felt like I won that uh, second round very like clear as day and night um and yeah the third round he came out he was um 
it was, you know, he, he wanted it. And, and I found myself not at the time, but like later, like towards the end of the round that, um, I gave up the, the front foot and I was on the outside, um, a little bit too much. I did think that I, that I was doing enough, um, even though my pace dropped off a little bit. Um, so I was a little bit disappointed in myself there because I had a lot more to give. Uh, but it was a, the two rounds that I'd lost, uh, very, very, very close. Um, it, it was what it was. And, um, you know, like I think my display in the second round is, is, was more my, my boxing ability. And, and the other two rounds, I just let it too close. Um, uh, he started gassing in the second round. I did remember that. And, uh, yeah, the, the referees just kept pulling me up on, on stupid things and letting him, letting him get away with some, uh, you know, some other stuff and that and kind of stopping the, the tempo of the fight. And when, when I started having a bit of control, uh, I felt like my, my shots were a lot cleaner. Um, he threw shots, but they, they wasn't landing properly. Like I was catching a lot of them, blocking a lot of them. And sometimes, you know, depending on like the judges, they all sit low to the ring and they're all looking up um, that they might think that they're landing. I, I felt a lot more comfortable in there. Like, there was a couple of flurries that he put that pretty much caught them all, but it, it didn't look that good. And I knew that in the time, like um, I know how amateur judges score fights. And uh, I knew if they throw flurries and things like that, that, that they might reward it. And I just, um, I try to make everything that I, that I did was as clean as possible so they can see what shots are landing in that. And um, yeah, at the end of the time, at the end of the day, I, I gave the fight to him and, you know, it was it was a pretty close fight. I think I dropped it a little bit um, more than he won it, but um, he gave the gold medalist a very close fight. He lost a three-two split, which is um, very surprising. But he's an awkward fighter, so I'm not as surprised. Um, yeah. Okay, that's that's a very fair analysis to give it. I'll give you that. But uh, the way that you went about it was quite true. I do agree with you about the the, uh, the referee. Uh, there was a lot of splitting going on and there was a lot of talking going on and I thought there was a little bit of, it was a bit a bit strange throughout the, throughout the few rounds and all that. But one thing I can definitely uh, vouch for is that you definitely look like you were actually having a lot more output. Um, in terms of shots, I could tell the way when you threw a few shots, his head was definitely sw- swinging backwards a little bit more. And then the way also that he would, when you would go for the body shots, he was sort of like lunge into it. So I could definitely tell you're doing a lot more damage. Uh, I just believe it's very, very unfortunate. But the other thing is, it's three rounds. You know what I mean? That's uh, that's not really much. Like three rounds, it's it's so hard to put on a like a proper display, boxing display, and obviously because it's Olympics and they've got so many people to go through. But one thing I thought uh, that, that when it came comes to boxing, I feel like you kind of need more than a three rounds. You know. I thought maybe there should have been like at least a, a five rounds or maybe five rounds could have been enough because then it gives you enough time to sort of get comfortable, figure out the game plan and then understand your opponent's moves. And then you can come back from that. Uh, that, that, that anyway, that's just my point. Um, that's my, my third point to say. Anyway, the, uh, I just wanted to ask you, man, now what you've gone through is a really like phenomenal experience to guard there represent your country on a grand stage at such a young age man like uh, obviously it's a phenomenal achievement but uh 
outside of the match itself, what was it like to just go to the Olympics, especially during a pandemic? Yeah, it was um, it was a different experience. Uh, like when we wasn't at a competition venue, uh, the village was just pretty unreal. Like seeing everyone walk around, like like superstar athletes and that, and um, it had a very Olympic feel inside the village. But um, as for like you know the the other parts were like the opening ceremony and you know not being able to go to watch other people's events and things like that. That was a little bit of a letdown, but um, it was it was still uh, you know a phenomenal experience just to be able to be in the village and and rub shoulders with with the best athletes in the world. Yeah, I understand, man. Now, one thing I wanted to ask uh, you. By the way, I'm going to admit. Uh, you were the first official Olympic athlete that I've ever had on the show. Uh, I wanted to also ask, man, like, uh, did you get to see the cardboard beds at all? Yeah, I had to sleep on the bastards. It was, um, that wasn't comfy. It was not comfortable. Oh, my God. Like, when I saw those things, I was like, what? That can't be real, man. Like, like walk me through what it was like. What, what the hell was this thing? Was it like sleeping on air? Like, did you have to sleep much on air? Yeah, like the whole time I was there, they slept on them, and um, then the mattress itself was made out of like a recyclable plastic. So it was like, it wasn't. I just described it as like cardboard with bricks on top of it. That's that's what it felt like sleeping on for the, you know, the fourteen days or however long I was there. It was um, definitely different. You know, Japan is very, um, you know, like. Uh, they try not to waste as anything as they possibly could. Like the whole place is spotless. It was it's phenomenal how like the, the Japanese government ran it. And in all in all honesty, if it was any other country, like the games wouldn't have went ahead. So they just, you know, I take my hat off to them for, for making it run as well as they did. Like the the effort that they put in there, um, the government and, and the Japanese people was just unreal. And you know, it's gave people like me put like their last five years into this, you know, the opportunity to still go and go and do it and represent their country. So it was, it was just like, it was a phenomenal effort by them. And, and some of the rooms, I was very surprised. Like that was kind of half done because they end up selling like all their, their houses back to the, um, you know, private buyers and things like that. And they just, they still haven't done like any of the finishes and stuff. So it was like, I'm very surprised what they're going to do with them afterwards because I, I personally wouldn't buy one of them houses. Because when I remember when I saw one of those things, it's like, surely that's not comfortable to sleep on. And then I thought to myself, like, these are professional. You're with some of the, like, the top 1% in terms of athletes around the world. And if there's one thing I talk to a lot of athletes and a lot of fighters is their favourite thing is sleep and how bloody effective sleep can be. And it's incredibly underrated. And I thought if you're messing with an athlete's sleep by giving by giving them this cardboard bed, uh, that's not that's not very ideal. You know what I mean? Uh, so I'm glad that you will man- manage to get through that thing either way. Now, uh, coming back from now, eventually you'll be back in Perth, uh, back in the state, and obviously, hopefully, uh, I'm sure your family is very uh, very happy to see you soon. I wanted to ask you, man, now that the Olympics is over, uh, what is next for you, man? Yeah, that's a question that I've been contemplating for, you know, since I got into quarantine, even after my fight. Um, 
where do I go? What, what, what do I do from here? Um, I haven't really come up with a, with an answer to it, but um, I've been back and forth between like, do I get a pro fight by the end of the year? Where do I fight? Who do I fight? Things like that. So um, I don't know too much just yet, but I, I would be keen to have a pro fight by, by the end of the year. So if it, if it happens, it happens. Um, it would be good. Uh, but, you know, like, yeah, it's 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 a question that, that I need help from other, other people. You know, I can contemplate things by myself, but, like, when it comes down to it, I need to be talking to my home coach, you know, promoters, things like that, the National Sporting Organisation for Boxing, um, and just see whatever what everyone else's uh, plans are, um, whether whichever way I choose, whether I stay amateur or, or have a pro fight and stay amateur or just turn pro. Um, so there's there's a lot of options out there, but um, being in quarantine, it's just hard to be in contact with people at the moment. So uh, hopefully within the next few weeks, I'll, I'll have a little bit more of an idea. I understood, man. I understood. Now, I wanted to ask you, man, you sound like someone who's got a great team behind him. Uh, now, one thing I talk about a lot on the podcast is that even though uh, the, my favourite thing about fighting is that it's an individual sport, uh, you know, it's an individual, uh, like, struggle. It's you alone who goes in there, and it's not like you can – it's like, you know, like a team sport where if, someone, if the team loses, it can fall down to one player. It's not really like that in uh, boxing at all because it's just you and the opponent in the ring. Now, one thing I always like to ask about when it comes to fighters is, personally myself, I do not believe that anybody can be a self-made man. I always believe that along the way in any journey, you're going to get some form of assistance or some form of help. And it's hard to put a pinpoint on who could be the biggest influence. But if I talked about influential figures in your life, like who comes to mind? Uh, my, my coach is, is number one and foremost. Without without him, um, then Olympics would have never been a dream. Um, boxing wouldn't have been a dream either. So uh, he's been uh, the cornerstone of my whole boxing career. Uh, it's when I really do think about it, like the amount of stuff that he's done for me between the start of my boxing career and now not only in the ring but outside is just, uh, you know, no, no one would ever be able to match that. Um, my family, my partner, they've, they've all been behind me. Um, and a lot of, like, my friends and volunteers who, who've helped me out, raise money, things like that, to get me to, um, you know, competitions that I, I couldn't afford. Um, and, you know, as amateur athletes, you know, our, our funding isn't that great as boxers. Uh, so we have a lot of have to seek a lot of sponsorship and, you know, community help as much as we can. Um, and the amount of support I've had throughout my boxing career is just like ridiculous that I wouldn't have been able to do it myself if, if I didn't have the help that I've had over the, you know, the eight years that I've been boxing. Wow. Good on you, man. Appreciate that. Appreciate you sharing that. Now uh, i got to ask, man, just off the top of my head, like what's the first thing you're going to do once you get back to Perth? Uh Probably takeaway. That's, that's the first thing because we can't we can't order Uber Eats up here. Um, we can only like order from Coles and Woolworths and things like that. So I've been a takeaway for ages now. So I'm dying to have some. Well, what, what, what do you think? What's on your mind right now? What, what food are you thinking about? Probably like 
I don't know, a double cheeseburger from McDonald's oh. or something like that. It's just like, yeah, I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm craving, it. craving it so much. I actually yeah. had Maccas on the way actually at the airport when we came here, but that was a, that was the first, you know, takeaway food that I had. I'm not sure since when. Um, probably like three months before that or two months. Wow. I, I feel it, man, considering like all that training, that work and then you got to probably like be on point with your nutrition and then it's funny how you said that. the one thing you think about is just like the simple the simplest pleasure in life like a what like four or five dollar cheeseburger like that's yeah that's awesome man especially also i can imagine like one of my favorite things i like to talk, talk to when it comes to fighters they love to go out after the fire you know because they cancel so much or plans they have to miss so much because fighting is a very selfish sport uh especially when it's like taking up so much of your time but the best thing about fighters is like uh those guys they party hard when uh when the fight's over but uh it's good that you actually wanted something so simple such as a cheeseburger man that's that's awesome anyway uh yeah one thing i would i wanted to ask you man is on your instagram man you are always putting up like training videos as well there's always like training footage and photos as well of you uh with other uh, sparring partners and other boxers. And one thing I just wanted to ask you personally myself, because I'm a strength coach at the UFC gym in Balcata, uh, what do you yep. do uh, specifically for your strength and conditioning? Um, that's a hard question. Um, I don't know, like nothing too like uh, complicated, like uh over the last couple of years just been like focusing on on my weaknesses uh which is my, my leg strength was was one of them so built up a lot of power in my legs um i just small fighter I, I need that um to you know like once your legs go your arms aren't going to do much so that, that was a big uh part of my training block over the last couple of years um now that i've got that power in my legs uh we started to you know, be explosive in the arms and, and reaction, reactionary um, and things like that. So, you know, it's a lot of deadlifts and squats and then some a lot of box jumps and mm-hmm. things like that, um, hand-eye coordination, stuff like that. You know, it's n- nothing that's, that's new, but, you know, it's something that's helped me a, a fair bit. So I guess um, my... My solution might not be everyone's solution, but like you know, everyone has their own things that they need to work on, and um, I guess it's all going to be the same exercises when you when you figure out what, what your weak points are. Awesome, man! Awesome. So obviously, you're someone who's got a very very grueling schedule, constant training, you know, constant uh, you know, was it was it breaking down, trying to get better and better. So obviously, in order for you to be on tip top shape all the time. What do you, you must have a very, very strong recovery system implemented. Like what do you do specifically for recovery? Um, I do a lot of massage uh, when I'm home. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I've, that I've been away and can, the higher, um, when I find I go into a camp, I end up training a lot more than, than I do back home. So uh, a lot more like um, self-massage, do a lot of rolling out and stretching and that there, like a huge amount more probably like maybe an hour a day or a bit more than that throughout the day um, compared to back home where, you know, I'm working a full-time job and things like that. So um, my 
my time's very much more limited back home to to get recovery in but um sleep is has always been my biggest my biggest one um and i just started taking some supplements uh at the start of this year from one of my sponsors hemp lab cbd so once i started to take that at the start of this camp you know my, my sleep being away from home and not in, in my bed where like you know which is where i get the best sleep um helps so much you know I'm used to a big bed and things like that and getting in a single bed that's got no mattress topper and stuff it, I struggled a fair bit and and that can affect your performance so once I you know started, started to take the CBD at night man I was out I was having great sleeves and I was flying in the morning on the track and stuff like that so um that that helps so much um and what else uh we did a lot more physio when we was here um we did a lot of dry needling instead of like a massage because massage it's a little bit more of a turnaround um you know damages the muscles a bit over a couple of days so the dry needling was meant to be able to get it done in the morning if we have anything wrong but still be able to train hard in the afternoon with you know no inflammation through our muscles oh man that's, that's good to hear that it's a whole cbd because one thing is I'm really impressed with the CBD oil from Hem Labs, like how much it's like maximize sleep. Like as when uh, one thing that's in this culture these days of uh, society is like this is hustle culture. We've got to wake up early. And if you're running on like these people, it's like, oh, sleep faster. But really, you know, you should be getting like eight, seven to nine hours a night. Roughly if I get eight hours, I'm good. But when I take that CBD, it's a million times uh, better. You know, and that's what's the best thing about it is that it takes the bet one of the best forms of recovery, and then times a hundred. You know, that's what, that's one definitely probably one of the uh, strongest feats that I can say. So shout out to Hemp Lads for doing that. Uh, now, man, just a couple more things. I just wanted to clear, uh, run you through real quick. Like uh, now, obviously, what you've done is pretty full on for you now i still want to talk about next what's next but you're 24 now come the next olympics which i believe will be is it in france in three years now yep. yeah would you are you hoping to go again back to the olympics or are you hoping to uh, maybe focus more on your boxing career and go for it uh i would love to go to another games um feel like there's like it's like, like something that was uh unfinished business at the last games you know i feel like i could perform better and things like that um but yeah i'm just uns- unsure at the moment whether i do if i do turn pro I, I doubt that i'll be be at the next games but um yeah we i don't know we'll just have to ask them questions and navigate them waters throughout the next couple of months and, and see where we end up towards the end of the year, whether um, I'm still amateur and, and going to um, just stick to that. Cause you know, when you turn pro the level of competition drops off a lot compared to staying amateur where it's everyone's world-class and no one gets a duck anyone. Um, so when you turn pro, like they start managing your career a bit more and um, you know, getting you used to, more rounds and things like that. So the, the level of competition isn't that great at the start. It gets obviously harder the, the more fights you have and 
um, you know, as you work your way, way up the world ranking. So um, I'm just a little bit unsure at the moment. Like I've had a lot of international experience, so it's not too bad for me. Like my development, I feel like can still go further, but um, yeah, you know, it, it is what it is. So we'll, we'll find out. Well, whatever you choose to do, man, I'm sure you're going to kill it. That's one thing I can definitely say for sure. Um, in terms of going back to the games, I definitely can see that happening for you, considering now when a lot of people, sometimes they go to the Olympic Games for like the first time and, you know, going to the Olympic Games is a feat on its own, just regardless of where you play. It's just to get there is a massive journey. And then I reckon second time around, if you go back there, you can have a much, much more better experience because you now you know what it, it feels like to be in the Olympic setting of a boxing match. Uh, anyway, man, I uh, just want to finish this up. Uh, just had a client just walk in. Uh, now, I wanted to ask you just to spend the last couple of minutes of the podcast. So just like you to take the, if the sorry, just ask you a question. If you'd like to take the time to, is there anybody in particular you want to thank? Anyone you ex- want to extend your gratitude towards? Uh, I'd like to extend my gratitude towards you for having me on as well. Um, and Hemp Lab CBD for like hooking us up because, you know, I've, I really enjoy doing podcasts. I love having conversations with people and things like that. Um, everyone who's ever supported me, um, especially on this Olympic journey, it's been one hell of a ride. And, and there's a lot of people back home that have done, you know, all groundwork for me and, and was still doing a lot of the groundwork when I was away. Um, so, you know, they know who they are and, and I appreciate everyone. Um, it's not going to be the last time that I'm going to need their help and it's not going to be the last time that, um, you know, everyone sees me on the big stage again. So, yeah, we're going to probably going to make our way back to some some form of uh, some worldwide stage and, yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later. Awesome, man. Well, Alex, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to do this podcast, man. It's been an honour. Uh, I can proudly say you are the first Olympic athlete that we've ever had on the podcast. So that title was now yours. Uh, and, and all good. And also, when you get back to Perth, man, uh, I promise you one day we'll do another in person uh, uh, podcast, especially with my co host, uh, Jack, who uh, is currently at work right now. So we will do one uh, between the three of us. Anyway, other than that, man, thank you very much. You stay safe. All the best. I'll chat to you soon. I'll see you when you get back, buddy. Cheers, my man. Catch up.